This is The Guardian. Today, Nicola Sturgeon has resigned as First Minister of Scotland. Why? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. We first were unclear as to why she'd called a press conference. We got the invitation to the event maybe an hour and a half, two hours before it was due to take place. I have to say I'd assumed that it was a press conference to talk about the teachers' strike. This possibility this was something really big became much clearer when the BBC broke the story that she was in fact going to be announcing her resignation, which came as a huge shock. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming along. I'm sorry to break into your half-term Break. Nicola Sturgeon arrived at the podium in what's a fairly characteristic red suit. She'd arrived down the stairs of her official residence in Edinburgh's Georgian Newtown, a place called Butte House, which is a pretty beautiful and, and very well-maintained Georgian townhouse. At a podium where we've often had press conferences, actually the room that she's chosen was a press conference where, in fact, Alex Salmond had announced his resignation in September 2014. Since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head... And in my heart, I know that time is now. Since she joined the Scottish National Party at the age of 16, Nicola Sturgeon has only known a life in politics. She rose rapidly through the ranks of the party to become the longest-serving First Minister of Scotland and the first woman to hold the position. I know it might seem sudden, but I have been wrestling with it albeit with oscillating levels of intensity for some weeks. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party, and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to? Sturgeon took on the role in 2014, after her party failed to convince the majority of Scottish people to vote yes in the independence referendum. She's dedicated herself to trying to convince them that Scotland will be better outside the union. Giving absolutely everything of yourself to this job is the only way to do it. The country deserves nothing less. But in truth, that can only be done by anyone for so long. For me, it is now in danger of becoming too long. A First Minister is never off duty. 
particularly in this day and age, there is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends or for a walk on your own, becomes very difficult. And the nature and form of modern political discourse means that there is a much greater intensity, dare I say it, brutality, to life as a politician than in years gone by. All in all, and actually for a long time without it being apparent, it takes its toll on you and on those around you. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Scotland's future without Nicola Sturgeon. Severin Carroll, you're The Guardian's Scotland editor and thank you first of all for making time to talk to us because you must be incredibly busy right now reporting this story. What did you make of Nicola Sturgeon's speech? What struck you about it? One of Nicola Sturgeon's uh, strengths is her relative candour. She tends to speak with much more openness about her approach to political decisions, policy decisions, and she makes candour very much part of her character. She was, not, as normal, quite measured. And in fact, some might have suggested that this might have been a speech where she could have been more emotional. But she'd been clearly preparing this and thinking about this for some time. There was a lot of candid disclosures in there about how incredibly demanding, both emotionally, physically and personally, a job like this can be. And actually, for a long time, without it being apparent, it takes its toll on you and on those around you. And if that is true in the best of times, it has been more so in recent years. The other key point for Nicola Sturgeon, of course, is as she made clear in her statement, she has been eyeing up a life after politics. She's now 52 and she will be very keen on having a full and productive second half to her adult life. I thought interesting echoes of Jacinda Ardern's speech uh, that she made last month when she was resigning as Prime Minister, you know, saying, I just don't have anything left in the yeah. tank. And a lot of people will be speculating about why now why do it this way? How did she actually frame that? What reasons did she give? She spoke at length about this, but in summary, she basically said that she was exhausted. These jobs are a privilege, but they are also rightly hard. And especially in the case of First Minister, relentlessly so. Question about the actual timing. She suggested that this was actually linked to the fact that in early March, the Scottish National Party going to hold what would be a pretty important for them, at least, one-day conference in Edinburgh to decide how the next strategy, the next phase of the campaign to seek a second independence referendum should be run. On what basis should it be organised? And her position was, was that it would be essentially politically and personally dishonest for her to lead that event as party leader and as first minister without being honest to the party that actually she was thinking about quitting and probably would quit. And I cannot, in good conscience, ask the party to choose an option based on my judgment, whilst not being convinced that I would be there as a leader to see it through. By making my decision clear now, I free the SNP to choose the path it believes to be the right one, without worrying about the perceived... So Sturgeon said that she's been wrestling with this decision for weeks. Why might that be? My suspicion is is that the energy that she 
feels or the commitment and investment that she feels this job requires was most tested during the COVID crisis. Leading this country through the COVID pandemic is by far the toughest thing I've done. It may well be the toughest thing I ever do. I certainly hope so. Sturgeon was spending almost every waking hour dealing with the COVID crisis. So I think it's from that point onwards that her energy levels and her stamina had probably started to wane. Now, one of the biggest problems and biggest challenges that she has faced is how to prosecute the second independence referendum campaign, how to get that referendum agreed and underway. And last year, she suffered the most significant setback of all. The UK Supreme Court has denied Scotland the ability to hold an independence referendum. This judgment has set back the Scottish government... So when the court said no, Hollywood did not have those legal powers, this was a huge roadblock for her. She had said that she wanted to make the next UK general election a de facto referendum on independence. That was at the time a politically risky gambit, and it might have felt that it would play really well with SNP rank and file. But quite quickly, a lot of people say, well, actually, hang about, that's not what the general election's all about. And it became clear through successive opinion polls that fewer and fewer voters actually felt that was a legitimate strategy. So on independence, the biggest and most defining issue which binds the SNP together is now in peril. Perhaps now she'd thrown the dice, she hadn't won, and it was time for her to pass this on to somebody else to have a go at. But then she has endured the whole crisis over Isla Bryson. A transgender woman convicted of two rapes before transitioning is tonight in a men's jail. Isla Bryson was being held on remand in Scotland's only women's jail, inflaming tensions in an already highly contentious... Bryson had been transferred to a women's prison and that caused a huge political crisis, both generally but also inside the SNP. But at midday, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon announced on the advice of the Scottish Prison Service that Bryson would be moved to a male prison. She acknowledged what she called the understandable public and parliamentary concern. The Scottish National Party, under Sturgeon's leadership over the last couple of months, has had an unprecedented rebellion from SNP MSPs. So while she was absolutely adamant that her gender recognition reforms were the policy and ethical position, this crisis and the fallout from it, I suspect will have just further eroded the amount of confidence that she had to continue as First Minister. If you forgive me, I'm not going to do my usual and go round absolutely every journalist in the room. There will be time over the next few weeks, I'm sure, for you all to ask me. And after her speech, she opened the floor to questions from journalists, didn't she? And and many of them were interrogating the idea that actually she was doing this. She was stepping down because of those recent controversies. Thanks, First Minister. Um, you say that you've been wrestling with this decision for a, a number of weeks now, and it's not in reaction to some issues over the last uh, couple of weeks, couple of months. Do you believe, though, that... How did she respond to that? Well, I think that the the balance of probability is that she was being truthful about how her energy levels over time have just slowly subsided and she's been less and less certain that this was something she wanted to continue doing for the next three or four years. wasn't the final straw. Look, I'm, I'm long enough in the tooth. I've, I've been in politics, as all of you know, for a long, long time. I'm not going to stand here and insult your intelligence and say that I live 
in a world uh, that is divorced from the realities of what is going on around me. However, the timing can't be a coincidence. These political moments, these decisions that people have to arrive at that are really significant, often are influenced by everything that you lived through in the preceding days and weeks. And I don't doubt for a moment that the crises of the last few weeks will have made her instinct into a firm decision. In her speech, Sturgeon made note of some of the big things that she's achieved in the job. What would you say are the main things that she's done, both for the SNP and for people in Scotland over these eight years? I think one of Nicola Sturgeon's and the SNP's greatest successes during her leadership has been continuity and stability. She has maintained an increasingly progressive political agenda, which much greater financial and policy investment in tackling poverty, deprivation, poor educational opportunities and entertainment for people from the most deprived communities. Significant amounts of money are now devoted to very particularly Scottish social security benefits, because one of the things that's happened as a consequence of the 2014 referendum is that Scotland has been handed more and more power over some of the key areas of Scottish life. So in Scotland, we have a more progressive income tax regime than would be the case south of the border. Higher earners in Scotland pay more, and in some cases considerably more. Lower earners frequently pay less. There are a lot of people in Scotland for whom who do not pay any council tax at all because of the way council tax rates have been changed to increase the burden on people living in more valuable properties. There have been investments in free school meals, in improving early years education, improving free nursery access for people who are younger children. And again, on the issue of child poverty, one of the things that Nicola Sturgeon foregrounded in her statement was she introduced the baby box. Now, many people outside Scotland may not know what the baby box is, but the baby box is a Scandinavian invention, which is basically when a mother gives birth to a new child, they will be given for free a box with a whole load of essentials in it, such as uh, baby thermometers, baby clothes, and some teething toys, all sorts of things which help children with their first months of their start in life. These are the kinds of issues that she foregrounded. What are the things that she set out to achieve that she has not achieved? There are huge waiting lists for key treatments for cancer and so on. There are a whole series of issues, basic bread and butter political issues. Local government funding is being heavily suppressed. There is an emerging crisis coming up over the Scottish government and Nicola Sturgeon's intention to introduce what's called the National Care Service, which is going to merge social services, elderly care, and care in the community into a single nationally run centralised organisation. That's getting enormous criticism from across the public sector and the political spectrum and from trade unions. We have the NHS crisis. Scotland has been enduring the worst A&E waiting times in history. And it may just simply be what we're dealing with here is Sturgeon is just so tired and so exhausted having to manage all these things and realise that actually she may be part of the problem rather than the solution. It, it wanted the moments of candour during Sturgeon's speech. She also 
stated openly that one of the things that worried her was she may become a too much of a divisive figure for voters in the sense that her brand had become stale, that people had been used to her for so long that everybody's idea of whether they liked her or disliked her had become fixed. And so that voters were unable to see beyond their either great love for her or their great dislike of her and look at what she was trying to deliver, what her government was trying to deliver. But that was interesting because what it talked to was the question about what her party was able to achieve was far too wrapped up in people's identification of the party with her, with Nicola Sturgeon. You have had this succession in the SNP of these charismatic leaders before her, Alex Salmond, her mentor. And what happened with Salmond and, and her involvement in that has really been a controversy during her leadership, hasn't it? Now, let's just recap, of course. So what emerged several years ago in a quite remarkable leak to the Daily Record newspaper was that the Scottish government had been secretly investigating complaints from female civil servants that Alex Salmond had been behaving very inappropriately towards them and had been involved in some form of sexual assault or sexual misconduct. Allegations, of course, which he denied. And it appeared that the Scottish government's internal inquiry was going to uphold those complaints. Now, what that then triggered was a formal police inquiry Alex Salmond was charged with 14 counts of sexual assault, including one of attempted rape, charges which he denied. He went to court and won on every single charge. He was acquitted on all of them. And after that court case was finished, the Scottish Parliament began its own special inquiry into the entire crisis between Sturgeon and Salmond. Salmond had threatened to sue his mentee. He was furious about what had happened, and it was the most cataclysmic an extraordinary conflict between two people who, until 2014, had been welded hip to hip politically. And there was a threat that she may have to resign. There was a clear question about whether there was going to be evidence which might emerge that she had lied to the Scottish Parliament and that she had covered up her own knowledge or involvement in some part of this particular scandal. Now, as it turned out, None of that definitive evidence came forward and she survived. But she didn't survive unscathed. And I suspect that it also added to that sense of tiredness or a, the fact that a lot of the glamour of doing the job that she has done since 2014 was starting to ebb. Her main goal has been to achieve independence for Scotland. She came in after the country had had an independence referendum under Alex Salmond. And the answer at that time in 2014 from Scottish people was, no, we don't want to leave the union. Do you think she's brought them any closer to saying yes? Undoubtedly. One of the key and defining successes for Nicola Sturgeon and for the SNP under her leadership is that that 45% yes vote in 2014 has now been pretty much solidified. A new ground level, if you like, for the yes campaign that a minimum of 40 plus percent of Scottish voters favour independence. And that is an extraordinary treatment because before 2014, the most you ever saw in the polls supporting independence was in the early 
30%. Now, she has also, of course, had a series of political gifts, one of which has been a Conservative government in London, which allows the SNP to have an external enemy and also a party that pursuing very different policies, which are disliked by a majority of Scottish voters. So she's always been able to present herself as the living alternative, the active alternative to Tory rule, which is a very useful political framing, if you like, for the SNP. Because what the SNP have been able to do is they've been able to amass a significant vote in the centre and centre-left of Scottish politics, people who, before Salmon came into power in 2007, were natural Labour voters. So there is now a, a moment of threat and challenge to the SNP, which didn't exist before, because one of the big consequences, I would say, of Sturgeon stepping down is that the SNP's popular support will fall and that there'll be more voters looking at Labour in particular possibly the Lib Dems, possibly the Greens, saying, actually, I'm not sure if I want to support this party because Sturgeon's successor will not have her popularity, her presence, or her reputation, or her track record. Coming up, the search for Sturgeon's replacement begins. Has the SNP got anyone charismatic enough to match her? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Severin, it's clear then that Sturgeon leaving will leave a hole in the SNP. 
She said in that press conference that her party was awash with talented individuals. Who do you think might replace her? Okay, so on this question about being awash with talented individuals, that might be true, but that doesn't mean that any of them are capable of being a, a truly brilliant or successful first minister or party leader. The vast majority of the people that she was referring to are actually still quite young. They haven't been properly tested and they aren't very well known amongst Scottish voters. The only two people who may stand as candidates, those are John Swinney, her deputy, and Angus Robertson, who is a former Scottish National Party Westminster leader. He's currently the Culture and External Affairs Cabinet Secretary, are the only two people that have been around long enough to be able to say to party members and voters with confidence that we would know what to do. The problem that the SNP now have is there is no obvious successor. There just isn't. There are several younger people who are serving in senior roles inside the Scottish government, and those are Hamza Yusuf, the health secretary, and Kate Forbes, who is the finance secretary. She's been on maternity leave for eight, nine months due back in April. Are both very, very credible candidates in the future. And I don't think, if, even if they stand, I would be really surprised if either of them were elected. But they aren't people that have the same level of charisma or, I'd, I would argue, feel for this particular role. And they won't have the same appeal amongst voters either. Severin, Sturgeon has been in leadership positions in the SNP for over 15 years, and she has undoubtedly shaped the party. In what ways do you think it will change after she's gone? I suspect the party will become more fractious. I think there will probably be more open factionalism. One of the things that is a defining factor of the SNP and has been ever since Salmon became leader again in 2004 is that it has been extremely unified, very disciplined, almost Dalek-like in the way that MSPs and Holyrood in particular behave. There is very little open division. There's very little factionalism. The only times that's really come to the fore have been over how to prosecute the independence quest and campaign, and also over the gender recognition reform. So what we may find is there are people on the left and right of the party who will start being much more vocal and open about where they would like to see the party going. I think Sturgeon's decision to resign could actually have quite a transformative effect on Scottish politics. What it is likely to do is make the Labour Party in particular feel that they now have an opportunity that they can't afford to squander to start really pegging back on the SNP's extraordinary lead in the number of seats that it holds in Westminster and at Holyrood. The Scottish Labour Party are holding their annual conference this weekend in Edinburgh, and Keir Starmer is due to be speaking on Sunday. My suspicion is that everybody's speeches of this weekend have been ripped up. They'll be starting again. What we may find now is that the domination of the SNP, which Salmond built up originally from 2007 onwards, is now beginning to end. That come the next UK general election and then the Scottish election in 2026, the SNP's grip on power in both terms of Westminster seats, but certainly in Holyrood, is now over. Whether they will lose the 2026 Holyrood election, I still think is open to doubt. They could easily still hope become the largest party, but they're no longer going to have this monolithic dominance over Scottish politics. Severin, thank you so much. Many thanks. 
That was Severin Carroll. He and the rest of the Scotland team will, of course, be keeping you up to date with this story. The reactions to Sturgeon's departure and the search for her successor at theguardian.com. And while you're there, you can also book tickets for a live event we've got coming up with Gary Young, who's one of our former columnists and one of the most astute writers around today. He's going to be talking to Nesreen Malik about the big political moments he's covered in his three decades as a journalist, about why he believes all statues should be taken down, and about the time he got drunk with Maya Angelou in her limousine. The event's happening in London on April the 17th from 8pm to 9pm. You can be there in person or watch the live stream from wherever you are. And UK viewers will also have the opportunity to buy a copy of Gary's new book, Dispatches from the Diaspora. To get your tickets, just go to theguardian.com forward slash Gary Young hyphen live. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak and Joe Glanville. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury. And the executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24.